With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to another edition of Amazon Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me once again is Greg Karam. Greg, I'm not going to put you through an opening question this week. I appreciate that. Those are always torture. Instead, we will once again go into the email bag for what I hope is our last session of who was the greatest Irish national football team player of all time. <laughs> I'm hoping this has now been running for like three weeks. Yeah, I think I started this. <laughs> but it, it is from Alan, who is our Scottish Mets fan in Norway. He's very shocked and disappointed when I confuse him as being Irish, and, which is fair on me because I seem to recall making fun of... Uh, Rob for thinking that like Denmark and Sweden were the same country <laughs> when he traveled to Scandinavia a couple of years back. But he decided to weigh in anyway. Um, the best, and you see, he's taking it as the island of Ireland and going with George Best. And like, look, if I was including Northern Ireland, obviously the answer would be George Best, one of the greatest players of all time and from any country. If you, if you mean to stick to only Southern Irish players, like this is some funny like UK thing where they call it like Southern Irish to be uh, obnoxious or something. I think you guys hit the nail on the head with Roy Keane. George Best was Northern Irish, so depending on the question parameters, you could answer differently. Yes, Northern Ireland, George Best. I think we agreed, agreed on uh, Paul McGrath for regular Ireland. Republic of Ireland, I want to be proper. Seem to be the there. consensus over Roy Keane. I don't want to get into British <laughs> politics. Of all, of, all the, of all the things we're not qualified to discuss on this show, British politics may actually be ahead of like managerial and field staff decisions. That's for sure. We're slightly more qualified to discuss the Mets winter meetings tango over the last 24 hours. Of course, the supposed deal with Ben Zobris, it seemed to be a sure thing. About 36 hours ago. Fell through. He signed with the Cubs for four years and $56 million. The Mets turned around this afternoon and traded John Neese to the Pirates for Neil Walker. Greg, you were feeling a little blue last night. Can you walk us through your uh, angst and anger? Okay. Well, when I heard about the 
first of all, when I heard that he didn't sign with the Mets, I was obviously disappointed. I was a big uh, supporter of the Mets signing Zobris for obvious reasons. And then it leaked out that he only signed for 456 with the Cubs, which is less than a $15 million a year AAV. And I just thought it was hysterical that the Mets' highest number one priority, they couldn't woo him away with a, some more money than less than $15 million a year. Now, I know that he said proximity to home was an issue. Chicago, seven hours from Tennessee, uh, or Nashville, Tennessee. So proximity, like... That's the stuff that they say afterwards, after they've signed the deal. And look, I don't doubt that if they had equal offers, he would choose Chicago for the reasons that they've stated. But if I'm the Mets, and this is my number one priority, and I don't have a B plan, which is what they were leaking out yesterday, though obviously they did have something planned, you can't you can't bump up the offer to you know eight million over that or whatever to enough to woo him away. I mean, since this guy's last contract, you give him eight million more dollars, he's gonna he's probably gonna come your way. They always go to where the money is. But perhaps you might you might be uh, you might be right there. Ken Davidoff is reporting today that the, the, so the the language around what the Mets have said about what they offered Zobris is very interesting to me. Now, look, I, I mostly retweeted the Gersh to personally annoy you this afternoon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the, the language from Davidoff was that Zobrist agent thought they would go to four years and $60 million. Not that they offered that. Um, it's been reported that the Giants definitely had that offer on the table. And with the caveat, that is a lot farther from Nashville, Tennessee, and they probably haven't played mostly corner outfield. And even the Mets are like, well, the language that Rico used specifically was, we felt like we were there financially, which could mean anything. <laughs> and it's not like they were secret. Right. They didn't like back channel leak out. Yeah, we, we offered him 460. And he turned it down to go to, you know, the warm, loving embrace of Joe Madden or whatever. Right. Because if they had made the salary salt offer on, that was... Yeah, if they had offered more than what he signed for with the Cubs, you can sure as shit bet that that, that would have gotten leaked out. Yes. Because they, they do that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they always trying to make themselves look better by leaking stuff out into the, into the media, and they yeah. have plenty of sources. And, you know, there's always sort of a bit of a lag time for these leaks, too, because stuff happens so quickly at the winter meetings. Like yeah. They could be talking to someone who has, like, day-old information, which apparently everyone did because this was signed Monday night, and all Tuesday the Metro Bays are taking a victory lap. Yeah, uh, through the media, so yeah, which I think adds rich, but... it does add to sort of the annoyance about it because they've and, and I can I can probably say this now they thought for a long time even before Tuesday they had Zobers in the bag. Really? Yeah, but you know, shit happens. So how disappointed are you? Well, I'm disappointed. I thought that there was a chance that they were going to add payroll. And just kind of put forward a roster that was really just going for it this year, next year, the next couple of years with this pitching that they have, which we can see given the market, how much of a surplus value they really have there and how not that much more money would put this team 
over the top and make them an overwhelming favorite, especially in the NL East, and then also make them competitive within the entire league. So I saw I saw a quote recently that they they were dropping the, the fight you know flexibility line again. And I was like I was like I was laughing. I was like oh that's funny. I thought that was a thing of the past, but it's still here. It's still here that they they couldn't go and get their guy in Bedzoris. They didn't have the money for it. I, I, that seems to me to be the biggest reason that they couldn't get him. And here we are again. You know, they have a ninety-six projected about ninety-six million dollar payroll. You know, they just kind of flip salaries with this Nice Walker deal. And you already have Ruben leaking out that they're only going to go one-year deals for the rest of the guys that they're going to do uh, get to fill out this roster. So I'm I'm frustrated about the money, and I think it's fair to be frustrated about the money because look. To New York market, I spend money to go to the games. I actually just got a, I got a package this year. I got a 20-game package. I'm spending money for the team. Time for them to spend some money on the team. You know, let's make this team better in this market. you got to spend some money. Come on. I mean, because at the end of the day, somebody's profiting from this money because there's money in the game. You can see that. You know, there's always money out. in the banana stand. <laughs> yes. So somebody's profiting at the at the end of the day out of, out of all this, and we know who it is. And I'm just saying, you know, let's put a little bit back into the team. It's time. Yeah, but Barwis needs new squat machines, Greg. <laughs> uh, is that a thing? I mean, I can't get into it. I mean, <laughs> Zobrist <laughs> would have been – look, I'm not – if they had signed Ben Zobrist, that would have been a good thing. Benzo was a good baseball player that makes him better in 2016 and probably 2017. And past that, who knows if they're going to be able to afford the arm raises for their pitching staff or what else is going to be going on with that organization financially or competitively or otherwise. But when it fell through, it was like, not the end of the world, Assuming there was a plan B. And then that's immediately like Adam Rubin's tweeting out. And I talked to someone an hour ago. They said there's no plan B. <laughs> no, I was yeah. deals can come together pretty quickly because everyone's there. And I imagine they've been at least kicking the tires on Neil Walker all along. You know, we had an email about it on the show a few weeks ago. Because there was rumored interest even as far back as then. So they may have had some vague parameters in place. And perhaps losing out on Zobrist caused them to speed up the process a little bit. I mean, obviously caused them to speed up the process a little bit and in a way neil walker does give them a bit more flexibility you know not positional flexibility i'm not talking about payroll flexibility but it allows them to sort of hedge for 2016 to a certain extent because as we'll get into when we talk about the trade specifically neil walker is a very similar player to Daniel Murphy in so much that they're a rather sure thing to be you know, like a 50 to 55 regular league average to a tick above player. Yeah. They get their value in different ways. You know, Walker's more of a secondary skills guy. Murphy's more of a batting average guy where he's uh, Walker's a little bit better defender, but he's not a good second baseman or possibly even an average one defensively and does not offer the same, Positional flexibility that Zobris would certainly, or even probably Murphy. 
he played uh, Walker that is played multiple position in the minors has been pretty much a second baseman only at the major league level you know could he pop over to third in a pinch if Wright gets hurt I think they'd probably go with Wilmer Flores in that case they have a little more depth at shortstop depth at shortstop Walker hasn't played he hasn't played third base since 2010 yeah so I think you know Flores has more recent experience there probably more total experience there if you include minor league stuff um it involves then not playing Wilmer Flores at shortstop which seems to be the plan a right now so um and then you, you can you know you get a you can give him a qualifying offer. You're not on the hook for multiple years with this guy who's you know turning thirty this year. Like with Zob- the older Zobrist, you know that could go. And yeah, you could do other things with Zobrist past this year if you still believe in Herrera, or you could have signed Zobrist and use Herrera as a trade chip, as sort of that sort of intermediary piece between you know Stephen Matz and Ahmed Rosario that we've talked about. You know, does Herrera and a rehabbing Zach Wheeler get you a very good starting center fielder or a shortstop upgrade? Probably. You might be able to pull something together. The pitching market's so screwy right now. Like, Zach Wheeler having Tommy John surgery tomorrow might bring you something good back at this point. That's it's crazy. But, you know, trading for Walker just kind of shifts the need to another spot. It takes, takes it away from second base, which wasn't a huge need. I mean, it wasn't like a black hole. They have Herrera there. They have Flores that you can plug in. I'm just saying now it's now you got to go out and get a pitcher, and they're linked to Bart, Bartolo. Bart but Yolo. again, I don't know. I mean, apparently there's a burgeoning they... market for Bartolo because I mean, fuck it. Yeah, Mike Pelfrey just got I mean, two years and sixteen million. If you, if you don't bring him in, the market after that is pretty thin. So and they're not going to be. I mean, there's uh, still good arms out there, but they're not going to be in that end of the market. So yeah, I, I guess I'll phrase it this way: Would you be more comfortable going into 2016 with Ben Zobrist at second and John Neese as your fifth starter, or Neil Walker at second and Logan Verrett as your fifth starter? In toto, I probably probably more comfortable with Zobrist Neese. Right, and I think. Look, if you can... I, I mean, I don't know what Verrett's going to give me at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, you don't. And Rico's right on WR right now as we record talking about, talking up, you know, Rafael Montero, Logan Verrett, and Sean Gilmartin is the fifth starter. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a fair reaction. <laughs> Sean Gilmartin, I mean... That that, that that's like the most bizarre one to be... Well, I figured they'd stretch him out in AAA next year, because why not? But yeah, he's not. He's, do you remember like he's Aaron Laffey? That, that, could, that could go Aaron Laffey really fast. Yeah, come on. And Montero. You never know with Montero. The guy's got the shoulder. He's I mean, through 28 innings this year. Hasn't thrown a pitch anywhere since August 20-something when he took himself out of a rehab start complaining of shoulder pain and was sitting 88 to 90. Let's tap the brakes. Oh, boy. And past that, we're literally talking about like Seth Lugo, Matt Bowman, and Gabriel Yanoa. Right, and then if you if you throw one of these guys into the rotation, then your depth beyond that, you got nothing. And they just came off a year where they had basically historic health uh, success, good well, you know, good health. Well, that's going to have to happen again anyway. Because look, no matter what they did this off season, given the financial restrictions, and all Neil Walker does is plug that hole. It's possible he'll be a little bit better than Daniel Murphy as a total package. 
but you're not replacing the 20 home runs down the stretch from Cespedes. You do get, okay, yeah, you get Conforto, Darno, and Wright for a full season. Theoretically. Yeah. But this team rises and falls next year with Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Mats. So even if John Neese is still there, one of those four guys goes down for a half a season or a full season, they still have a very large problem. So I'm not, I'm not so worried about where they're going to fill those 32 starts. All right. I am, I, look, they signed Bartolo Colon. Awesome. They signed Yusmiro Petit. Sure. Great. Nah. <laughs> Am I get to write about Luis Sessa for the Yankees top 10 at BP? Jesus Christ. I don't... Th- oh, yeah. He just got, got traded there. there. Mm. I got to go back and look. <laughs> My list. <laughs> I don't um, know if he'll make a top 10. He made it for the Tigers. That's the worst system. That was a bad system. It's a bad system. But the back end of the Yankees system isn't that great. I thought it was better these days. But... It is better these days overall. Um, but like past like like Jaggy Yellow and like Rob Ref Snyder's on it. So I mean, I can't, he, I got to stop giving out spoilers. Yeah, yeah. For another, like two weeks. <laughs> um, uh, where was I? I Something know, about John Neese probably. Yeah. And look, that's a good fit for Pittsburgh. He's basically J.A. Happ, and you just give him to Ray Searidge and hope that he waves his magic wand and, you know, fast two-seam cutter, defensive shifts, better defense behind him so he's not pouting and giving up unearned runs. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about Nice is that he's had a pretty good career. And last year was a little bit of a down year. But if he goes back to what he's done in the last three, four years, that's a pretty good pitcher, and he's got two options left. There's three years of control there. Up to, um, and they can also cut bait if it goes bad. So Right, right. So, you know, it's not like they gave away nothing. And, you know, if you had gone out, let's say, signs Oberst, you still could have flipped these for bullpen piece and maybe a prospect. Right, and if, you want to use, pack- if you want to use, like, the Wade Miley model, which seems to be popular on Mets Twitter, you, know, you sure. get, like, a top-end potential. I'm not even talking about Carson Smith. I'm saying, like, somebody good. Uh, Carson Smith be... is good. No, no, I'm saying he's better than what I would even okay. expect to get back. Right. So, so but I mean, you get that top end with your back. Yes, but I think this use of Nice is better because it, it, it plugs a clear hole in the lineup, which I think is going to be a little bit more important. Right. My issue is that you could have just thrown money at the problem. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, that's the story of every topic we've ever had on this podcast about the Mets since january 2013 when we started yeah well that's why i'm frustrated so neil walker in yeah. one year 10-ish million in arbitration probably switch hitter a little bit of a platoon split uh steamer next year yeah. projects him for 18 home runs and a 263 330 slash line that's pretty murfish yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's more secondary better. skills, which is technically a little bit more valuable. But, um, and he's a yeah, better defender at second, though not a great one by any stretch of the imagination. No, he's like fringe yeah. average, which is still an upgrade over Murph. He's like a slightly better bat with like slightly better defense. It's, right. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an upgrade. At, yeah, he's been roughly one-ish, one half to one win better than Murph the last each of the last few years by baseball references for which yeah. is literally a wash he hasn't been quite as durable as murph 
Um, I mean, he played 150 games this year, but prior to that, it looks like, you know, your standard DL stint plus a, a game, uh, you know, a rest day here and there in 2012, 2013, and 2014. He's pretty poor against left-handed uh, pitching. Right, but they, they, I mean, they have plenty of right-handed infield options with platoon issues. Yeah. So I'm not, he's, he's almost a better fit in that way. Um, though so was Murph. So they didn't platoon him ever. So yeah. I don't know how much you want to bet on that, as it were. So as a they... switch hitter, I wonder if they've ever tried to just have him stick to the left side. Yeah. I think there's still value in... He's probably a better right-handed hitter against lefties than he is a left-handed hitter against lefties, just because of experience things. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. That, I mean, and again, it's it just, it's he's not awful. His career numbers are lefties. not awful. It's a big split, to be sure, um, but it's not significantly worse than Murph. He still gets on base at roughly an average rate, so you can kind of fudge it. You know, if you're going to give him a day off, you do it against a tough lefty for yeah. sure, and play Tejada there or whatever try to get sort of his like empty batting average OBP against lefties sure into the lineup and, you know whatever bat him eighth um and that's fine but you know he's not a guy you have to he's not unplayable against lefties no all right yeah he's a nice player it's not a long-term commitment um he wasn't he had a down year this year relatively speaking. Um, but if he gives you something more like his 2000, 2012, 2013, was a little bit better than 10% above league average as a hitter, as a yeah. second baseman that can, you know, play. I, mean, I say he's not a average second baseman, but he can play second base. He can play a major league second base. Yeah, you're hoping for a good year so you can drop a QL on him after the next year. Sure. Um that's a nice player, you know, 25 doubles and 15 to 20 home runs. Yeah, it's a good player. And no he, he certainly fits, I think, the Mets' front office preferred type of bat because he both gets on base and hits for power. Sure, yeah, yeah. So that's one down. Now where do they go from here? Well, they got to, I mean, you have, I, in my opinion, you got to bring in a fifth starter. Fifth starter. Okay. Who would you target? I would, I would target Cologne. You're in Bartolo? Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the type of guy because I want a well, guy who's yeah, going to be able to be more... flexible later in the year if, sure. if Wheeler comes back and that kind of thing. Hey, you know, there's a, another rotund Latin pitcher that has experience moving back and forth from starter to reliever and swingman out there on the market in case you weren't aware. Give me a break. Well, he's good. He's okay. He's been at, okay. You want to look at the last two seasons of Petit versus oh, Cologne? Because we can do this. We can go to baseball reference. He was mostly a reliever last year. He was. I don't understand. Because Bochy wanted to start Ryan Vogel's song. It's the only reason. So his ERA plus the last three seasons, 97, 94, 103. That was Petit? Yes. 
So I'll just I'll, I'll give you as a, a San Francisco Giant, and we'll call it three years. It was really four years. We only pitched like four innings in the majors in 2012. As a San Francisco Giant, 245 innings, 3.66 ERA, which is 97 ERA plus, 3.25 FIP if you're into that. Almost a five to one <laughs> strikeout to walk ratio. He strikes out a batter an inning. All right. I can do math. Yeah, he strikes out. He's an above average K rate. Look, he's going to be a little homer prone, but so is Bart. I'm just saying, you get him for one year and $3 million probably. You know what? That's probably the way they go. Yeah, it didn't take how long to sell you on. I'm very good at selling people on his Mero Petite, I found over the years. Well, it's one of my you, usable you bring and marketable life che- skills. <laughs> once you bring it back to cheapness and money, it's, yeah, it's, that's how it always works. It's a good sell. I mean, Bart's going to want some decent money. Especially in this market. Yeah. I mean, the guy... I mean, would you... Okay. I know he's 42 or whatever. Though John Heyman is now reporting that Bartolo... My man, John Heyman. My main man, John Heyman. Reporting that Bartolo Colon appears likely to return to the Mets. Oh, yeah? Yeah. This makes me happy. I'm saying, I'm not not even a big... I'm not even a big Bartolo fan. Like, I wasn't a big fan of him last year. But he's just... He, you know, he brings a levity and a lightness to it, and I, I like that. And he's not bad. And you can pencil him in. Like, there's value in being a below-average pitcher for 190 <clears throat> innings, especially on this team. Yeah, he's given constructed. Last five years, he's been pretty reliable, taking the ball every fifth day. So sign me up. That'd, that's a perfect fifth starter. Even considering age, and I think Bart's what 42 next year. He turns 43 in May. Okay, so it's this age 43 season. Would you <laughs> rather give two years, $16 million to Mike Pelfrey or Bartolo Colon? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm serious. Who would you I rather give are. it to? I know. I don't fuck around on this podcast. He's 43, though. It's He's 43. He's probably got a surgery. Like he's got a brand new shoulder. Probably when he went to Germany a couple years ago. No, so. they, just, they just spun the blood cells around in his elbow or whatever. Yeah. Um. I can't. I can't watch Mike Pelfrey pitch anymore. It's got. <laughs> so it's got to be. It's got to be Cologne. It's a reasonable stance to take. I feel like. Yeah. At least he's having fun out there. So what do you do about center field then? Let's say Bart oh. comes back for one year and eight million. That puts you at like one oh. Four ish. So I tell you what they're gonna do. They're they're Gerardo probably Parra. gonna go out and get like Will Venable. Will Venable. I actually kind of like Will Venable. But... Hey, there's a. I, I tweeted this out, but there's like Jake Cave in the uh, Rule Five Draft tomorrow. Is he a center fielder? He is. He is a really? definite center fielder. Really? I looked him up the other day. I didn't realize he was a center fielder. Yep. He's a left-handed hitter. That wouldn't. S- if that if that floats your boat. Well, uh, mm, all right, you're talking me into him. Yeah, I mean he's played some some other places as well, but he's played mostly center field for his uh, minor league career. Yeah, he got a taste of AAA last year, so he's not wildly you know he's not some a ball dude. Uh, he didn't know. Look, look, he hit two sixty nine. I mean, he, he, really, yeah. he just hits for no power. He's got some speed. You know, he's basically a fifth outfielder. He's your Kirk Newen highest replacement. Um, but he's probably a better defender in center. 
at a little more speed. So if you want to go really cheap. Yeah, but Kirk Newenheis is probably better than this guy. Probably? Yeah, he's, come on. This guy slugged 345 in AA last year. If Kirk was in AA, he'd probably slug 750. Yeah, 304, 366, 402 against righties. In AA, and a little bit of AAA, granted. But you, the problem is... I mean, I think he gets picked. He might not make it to the Mets pick. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's true, too. But again, you're this is we're having this conversation. It's stupid because this is not a team where it is set on the right. You shouldn't be relying on to be like spending a twenty-five man roster spot on a outfielder, and you want to pick up a reliever, or whatever. But right. and they're not going to get par because they're not. He's not going to go for a one-year deal. You think he's going to go for a one-year deal? No, I don't think so. I think they'll eventually give two years to either par or spawn. But well. Para par left-handed? Gerardo Para? Yeah. I believe so. That's something I feel like I should just know, because I feel like I've looked at Gerardo Para's uh, baseball reference page a thousand times. Yes, he's left-handed. Okay. Not a great center fielder from what I recall, but... Again, he's... He sort of falls into that not great, but playable. Well, if you can get him that cheap, then... That probably fits the mold because he's cheap because he's cheap this is the market in which we deal we are a small to mid market team well, there's your Mets winter meetings in a nutshell <laughs> now we'll answer your emails before we do emails we do housekeeping it's amazing avenue audio episode 163 i don't think i said that at the open but it's episode yeah. 163 our second season, if you will. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Or join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And we'll finish off Alan's email, like all our Irish footballing emailers. He has a Mets question as well. Since this is the Mets podcast, can you please give me your opinion on who will have a higher combined war this season? I assume he means combining fan graphs and baseball references war, mm. which is a weird way to do it. I always like talking about war sort of more holistically, but fine. This season, Michael Conforto or Curtis Granderson, assuming full seasons played by both players. I hope that Conforto grows to the extent this year that he becomes the most valuable overall Mets outfielder in 2016. Is this realistic? Thanks. Still love the podcast. Alan, the Scottish, he underlines it, fan in Norway. Um, hmm. Michael Conforto has tremendous upside. He has tremendous upside potential, yes. Yes. 
But Granderson is coming off like a five-win season. Well, I'm going to just say that I'm guessing... I don't know how the metrics will play it out. But I think they're probably both slightly above average defenders in a corner. Like five runs better in a corner than average. Interesting. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to sort of gauge it because corner outfield it, defense gets so weird based on whose other teams are sticking, you know, what vaguely a mobile person. Yeah. How many innings with, uh, yeah, Jason like that, Hayward's playing in right? Right. The average baseline there could be a little wonky. Um, but I think we, we don't, neither of them throw great. Uh, Conforto's a little more athletic than Granderson in a weird way. Um, Granderson's probably a little bit better with roots and, yeah, and reads instincts. and stuff like that. Um, uh, Conforto has a very accurate arm and got a lot, and derived a lot of his value from you know, base runner kills and the like. Yeah, so th- then you really sort of turn to the bat. You know, they're both lefties with platoon splits, or likely to have platoon splits. Yeah, we don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know yet, but probably lefties with platoon splits, advanced approaches at the plate, and 20-ish home run power. You know, 20 to 25 home run power, probably, like, as soon as next season. Yeah, they're similar. I really, it, it's tough for me to sort of... Like, if I had to set... I'll go with... Yeah, if yeah. I had to set like the over under for their war next season, which is kind of a, a silly thing to do, assuming like 140 to 150 games of playing time, however you want to gauge what constitutes a full season, I'd say we three and a half wins. Yeah, three or three and a half wins. Yeah, where I set the over under. That's tough. If if Conforto played over 130 games next year, I would take the over. Well, see, the, I think you just can't extrapolate out his stats from 2014 or no, 15. No, you have to played him against lefties. You have to right. It. He's going to play a lot more against lefties. But I, mean, I don't think he's. Too... I don't think he's going to embarrass himself against lefties. I don't think he's going to embarrass don't. himself. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to look at it, I'll do a quick little. Let's I also don't look. think I don't think Granderson's going to be as bad against lefties next year as he was this year. He was pretty brutal. He was, but he's. I just don't think it's that's who he is. In the last like five six years, he's not been that bad against lefties. Sure. <clears throat> he also. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree that he's going to maintain the defensive value that he carried this year. Right. I mean, he's only a year removed from being he's, a. He slightly below average. I mean, he was slightly below average by DRS, brutal by UZR. Mm. But just for the record, take a quick look. So if you just look at their performance against righties last year, you know, Conforto was an 870 OPS guy. Granderson was an 890 OPS guy. So again, it's basically looking at it, it's about 40 points of on-base percentage for Sorry, about 30 points of on-base change for Granderson. And, what's that? I should have... I was at 340 and... Whatever. It's Granderson had more on-base percentage. Uh, Conforto had more slugging. I don't think there's a lot to, to split the... Sort of split the baby here. There's It's going to come down to health. And it's going to come down to performance against lefties. And that's even meaningful, like, in a one-year sample size. 
Yeah, and wonky defensive metrics. And wonky defensive metrics. Now, I guess we could face this better. Who do you think is going to be the better player in 2015? Is that not what we were just trying to No, no, we were doing wonky war things. Um, I'm talking about the eye test here. Watch a baseball game, Greg. Who's going to be the better player in 2016? I'll go with Conforto. I'll go with Conforto, too. I think he's got tremendous upside. I just, I think he's going to be really, really good. And I, not if, to say that Granderson, I just don't think Granderson's going to be as good as he was last year. Um, if you told me a Matt finished top 10 in the MVP voting next year, um, I would guess, I mean, it, it's likely that, probably most likely that none of them will. I guess I could see one of the pitchers. But if you told me a Mets position player finished yeah. top 10 in the MVP voting next year. I'd probably pick Michael Conforto. I'd I like guess. Darno. Yeah, I just don't think catchers are tough. So they don't play enough. Yeah, Darno is a reasonable, uh, reasonable choice as well, though. Thank you. Our next email is from Rob Jeffrey and the gang. I agree with the argument against trading Harvey, under the assumption the depth of starting pitching and free agency this offseason would prevent the Mets from getting full value for Harvey. However, Price, Granke, Zimmerman, Samarja, Lackey. And the immortal J.A. Happ have all signed. You forgot Pelfrey. Leaving basically Cueto, Casimir, and less attractive options like Giovanni Gallardo. The Cardinals and Dodgers are both clearly looking for starting pitching. It seems probable that at least one of the two will be unable to sign a top-line starting pitcher. Assuming this happens, you foresee either or both making a strong play for Harvey or some other Mets starter. As a million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase famously said, Everybody has a price. At some point, the Mets have to listen on offers. But would a compelling Harvey to the Dodgers package look like to the cards? Excelsior, Rob. Addendum. He sent this in like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, after the Shelby Miller deal. Shelby Miller for the top 10 prospect, a major league ready outfielder, and a top 75 prospect. Danby Swanson is not a top 10 prospect. Please apply the transitive property. We'll say you've got a, a top... Again, I gotta stop. Let's say you got two... Spoiler alert. We're doing like list stuff right now, so I can't really do it. So for the purposes of this discussion, um, we'll say a top 10, a top 75. I think the average comes out the same anyway. Please apply <laughs> the transitive property of prospect analysis to your answer below. Thanks much, Rob. Um, so what was the... I think you have actually you have a, a, a marker for this now, right? Because of the rumored Jose Fernandez asks. Well... And the, the Diamondbacks one, or the Marlins wanted... Was it Swanson, Blair, Inciarte, Corbin, and somebody else? Sure. Yeah, I heard Corbin was in there too. I mean, no, I don't know if the Diamondbacks would do that. They might be the one one of the few teams that would. But I would be hard pressed not to trade Matt Harvey for that package. Now it's a little bit different mm-hmm. for the Mets because they're in a different spot than the Marlins are in terms of sort of their co- competition cycle. That a Matt Harvey package today, yeah, would have to be a lot better than a Jose Fernandez what, package. Really, you think? No, 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 no. Similar to a Jose Fernandez package, but a lot more, more um, major league ready players. Yeah, and you're getting Enciarte and Corbin. Yeah, Enciarte is basically he's, he's good. Basically, major league ready. Right. Right. What I'm saying is I got to get more than what they, the Braves got for Shelby Miller. Like, there's got to be another piece in there. Uh, Corbin's nice. 
you know, if you look at the a team that does match up well would be the Red Sox, but they'd have to be willing to part with one of their younger stars, and I don't think they're going to be willing to do that. Mookie Betts is a two-sport if, threat now. <laughs> is bowling a sport? <laughs> We're not going to get into that. That's going to open a whole other can of worms in the podcast. He didn't bowl great on the Viper today, though. That's a tough pattern. I struggle with it yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So they keep tweaking it. So I don't even, I don't even know what the 2016 Viper pattern is. So, um, <laughs> uh, but to answer the specific question, what would a compelling Harvey to the Dodgers package look like? Would you need Seeger back as the top line guy there, or could you do it? For, uh, yeah, for, yeah. Because because P- Jock Peterson doesn't do it for him. Jock Peterson doesn't do it. Okay. Yeah. So it's got to be Seeger, and. Uh, you got to have Urias in there, and I need even I need more. I need I need levels of this thing. You know, I need I need a, a lower level guy like Grant Holmes. I'm a big Grant uh, you know, Holmes like a, fan. A, no, but like I'm saying, I need I need another prospect down there, and I also need another like major league guy. Yeah, but, um, use like Enrique Hernandez or something, and play him yeah, wherever. Sure. Yeah, sure. Throw him in there. Yeah. You need like those levels of guys. Like, like get Justin Turner for all your your third second base oh, problem. God, you can play third too. Ter- Wright gets hurt. He was the most terrifying batter that they faced in the playoffs. He had a double every single time he was up. It felt like every single time. Like it didn't matter. Like time. Degrom. Like the first game against the Dodgers. Like Degrom. Like the dominant Degrom start. Like he yeah, just yeah, carved he up every roping. other hitter, and, and Turner's just roping every ball. Like, right at Michael Kadai's face. On? Yeah. Yeah. But yes, the pitching market, as first reported on this podcast, is bonkers right now. Yeah. Our next email is from Liam. Holy crap, it's a long email and it's all one paragraph. Oof, let's just summarize. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't think it's a question. Enough. I don't think it's a question. <laughs> Liam is happy with the use for Walker trade, but only use it as a start, which I think is fair. You have to do more. Otherwise, you're just basically putting the May and June 2015 Mets back on the field next year. It does offer more flexibility to sign a player long term. <laughs> With Nisa's money off the books. What's about the Diamondbacks? Grizzlebacks. The Grizzlebacks. The Grizzlebacks, not the Grizzlebacks. Or the Godbacks. Godybacks. Hashtag. Hashtag Godbacks. Um, and he asked the same question that we just answered about trading Harvey and Thor. He advocates signing Casimir. And he says, fuck it, let's just sign Jason Hayward. Yeah, I mean, that's a good answer. <laughs> it is. I agree. It solves a lot of problems for them. It really does. It really, really does. But... And at this point, you know, it's fucking, what, you know, 10 and 250? That gets you to the table, probably. $120 million a year? Who the... 10, 10 and 250 definitely gets you to the table. I don't know. You might have to end up going higher. Who the... It's... That's we'll going to be a weird. I don't know. 
I don't know. He'll, he'll have a hot, an opt-out because that seems to be a hot I, thing. I don't hate what the Diamondbacks are doing, though. I'll say that. I, for for competitiveness in, the, in this year and the next, you know, I got no problem with that. But they are kind of just burning the farm. You know, was uh, burning the farm. I mean, they sold Tukey, right? Yeah, which was weird, but whatever. I mean, whatever. Um, and, you know, they still have Archie Bradley to plug in. They still have Corbin, of course. You know, I'd say... They weren't a bad team last year. No, they weren't. You know, they did... They're like those, move, those moves at worst put them into sort of that, you know, 85-win wildcard mix. And the NL West is not... You know, losing Greinke is big for the Dodgers. That's not a deep starting rotation. You don't know where you're going to get from Ryu next year, if anything. You know, maybe yeah. they'll go in hard on Maeda, but uh, it's more of a mid-rotation type, I think, than, you know, who knows with know. Iwakuma. The Dodgers, I mean, the Giants might go after Maeda, and I don't know what the Dodgers are doing. There's still Cueto, I guess, and I, I think Cueto's a good fit in that park and, and division. If they were, you know, what they offered Granky, they could probably sign Cueto for. But, you know, they couldn't come. So the thing about it is, and like, look, they gave up a lot to get Shelby Miller. And I'm not convinced Shelby Miller is like a slam dunk number two starter. I'm not. Me neither. He doesn't have a long track record sort of doing what he did last year with the K rate that he had. And we know the, the we know the profile there is, you know, he's a top ten pick as a prep, if I recall. He's like sixth overall pick or something that year. Um, oh, he's nineteenth. He was the one that fell. That's right. He was the prep guy that fell that year. Who was that? I don't remember who the high pick was, but I remember that draft being a very uh, good prep arm draft. But yeah, you know, his he struck out. Two, four, five. He said he struck out less. He had a essentially a below average strikeout rate last year in the majors. He struck out fewer than twenty percent of the batters he faced. His walk rate was average-ish. He didn't give up home runs, and he had pretty good BABIP results. And he's had pretty good BABIP results in two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen too. So there might be something there. Um, he was a pretty good pitcher. Basically, what he did in 2015, he also did in 2013. I just don't know if you're getting a slam dunk top of the rotation starter here. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, they gave up a lot to get him. They had some depth in the outfield, from what I understand. So, I mean, it it could probably help them this year, but I just, it's a big package. It is. But I'm going to say this. It's like every single one of us, myself included, looks like a fucking idiot analyzing the Will Myers for James Shields deal three years later. You know, I'm at the... It's different when you're on, and of course, the points of analysis we were coming from in whatever, the 2013-2012 offseason, as Mets fans were, oh, you have to collect all the prospects and do, you know, processy things. 
because it's a team with a budget with a bad farm system. You know, Arizona is at a different point on the win curve now. You know, they're closer to where the Mets were previous offseason, after the 2014 season. I think it's fair to say. You know, if the Mets had made a similar big deal for a bat, I think we would have been lauding it on the podcast. I know what the Shelby Miller bat equivalent is. Adam Eaton. (laughs) I guess, I don't know. Yeah, but whatever that is, would you have traded... Uh, I guess what the equivalent of that is. Rosario, Lagaris, and... I think like a top 25 pick. Or a top, like, top 50-ish prospect. Would you have traded Matt's... I mean, look, I admire the fact that they're going for it. Right. I mean, they've seen, you know, they... They've seen an opportunity in the division to open a window for the next two to three seasons. I mean, they have Pollock, they have Goldschmidt, they have some decent players elsewhere. They have a pretty good starting rotation now. You know, Ziegler's quietly been one of the best closers in baseball. I think after the Granke signing, they have a higher payroll than the Mets. Everyone has a higher payroll than the Mets. I don't hate it. It might not work, but, you know, it beats whatever the Braves are doing. They're trying to, you know, tank costs as much as possible to sell the team. Just wait, there's going to be a SI cover, the 2021 champions. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was a good deal for the Braves, too. It It can work both ways. Yeah. Our final email is from David. Dear Jeff and Co. Well, I realize it's now hot stove season. I want to relish a little longer the glory of our 2015 season. I'm a native New Yorker, now living in Chicago. I was there at Wrigley for Game 3 of the NLCS. My oldest friend from New York came out to watch the game with me. We rooted respectfully for the Mets and were treated with kindness by the Cubs fans. Uh, after the Mets handily won the game, we drifted over to the Mets fans, congregating behind the first base dugout. There may be a hundred of us there, and we finally let loose all the emotions we struggled to contain throughout the game out of respect for the Cubs. So, oh, go fuck the Cubs. <laughs> These Mets fan arrived. They were greeted by smiles, hugs, and yes, even tears. As one woman wearing a Ron Darling jersey arrived, she acclaimed, My people, I was all alone throughout the game, and I am overwhelmed to find you all. Without missing <laughs> missing a beat, another fan responded, like Jews scattered across the desert. It's such a Queens moment. Uh, it was a very Mets moment, beautiful in its way. Probably more Long Island than Queens. Um, as we all stood there cheering for our guys, we began reminiscing. Eventually, the conversation turned to what indignities we had to suffer in order to arrive at this wonderful moment. People began saying things like, this is our reward for enduring Jose Lima. And then the names began to flow. It was enduring, for enduring Jose, uh, Jordani Valdespin, Derek Bell, Anthony Young, Jose Valverde, Frank Francisco, <laughs> Vince Coleman, Jason Bay, Jeff Duncan, Roberto Alomar, Carlos Baerga, etc. People must have named at least 100 awful Mets. It was more or less an exercise in demon exorcism. This victory seems to have freed us from those awful memories, which can be looked back on with some fondness. My question for you is, which demons would you most like to see exercise? Put another way, which players have been the most difficult for you to root for over the course of your lives as Mets fans? Or which one did you most fret over their presence on the roster? 
as the past year made you look back on them with more fondness than bitterness? Or alternatively, will these demons not be fully exercised until the Mets actually win a World Series? Thanks, as always, for keeping this going through the offseason. Best, David. Luis Castillo. Castillo's a good one, I feel like. And he wasn't even, like, that awful as a Met. No, no, but... Like, he was basically just Luis... I, mean, I think, like, the last season, you know, the extra year that Omar shouldn't have given him. Yeah. He was pretty bad. And he yeah, dropped kind a of pop-up. Yeah. He dropped a pop-up. That was so bad. Oh. So, so his career line, I mean, he had 366 on base percentage as a Met. I know, for four I know. I mean, he was basically Luis Castillo. <laughs> yeah. And the defense kind of went downhill, too, which was not ideal, but... And he was never healthy. Like, he's every sort of met from that era. I don't know. I feel like last year, not because anything the Mets did, but I'm more I'm more okay with Jeff Francoeur now. <laughs> I mean, that started with the whole thing where, you know, like, the one player on the El Paso Chihuahua was convincing him he was deaf. <laughs> Remember that video? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah that, that's sort of when it started the, the Jeff Francoeur redemption tour for me. I feel like no one ever hated Jeff Rancourt because the guy's just got a, he's got, he's, because he's white and he's got a smile and everyone likes that guy because of that. Well, I think there, there's, for those of us in the blogosphere, a little bit of consternation with sort of the New York City media being like overly, like full on, like gaga uh, eyes about everything Jeff Rancourt does. Like, hey, this Frenchie. Yeah, yeah. Takes naked batting practice. <laughs> I will never not bring that up when Jeff Francoeur. Uh, it's the most like Captain Red Ass, no pun intended. Like, uh, like Mike. I feel like Mike Sweeney did that too. It's, it's kind of like very Kansas City kind of thing. I think dirt dog and whatnot. Um, Valdisman's an interesting one because Valdisman was just always a source of amusement for me, even when he was a prospect. Yeah, he was a tough guy to root for, but he was sure. never good, so it wasn't that hard to root it, you know. Yeah. It wasn't that hard. Like Scott Schoenweiss? You know, John Nese was tough to watch over the years. Yeah, Scott but he was a competent major league pitcher. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just, you get tired of four starters after a while, I feel like. You know, Pelfrey and G went through the same thing. Is the guy who's like, if you got the tickets to the game, yeah, like, yes, exactly. Pitching? It's John Neese. Yeah. You'd be like, it's uh, a lot of John Neese and Dylan G starts. Yeah, it was better than G, but it was like, yeah, uh, it's just uh, especially over it's the last be, couple it, years when it's like, oh, I could be seeing like Harvey or Wheeler or Degrom, but I'm watching it's John good. Neese. It's going to be a treat next year. It is, especially if they sign Bartolo. Yes. There's no bad game. There is. Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazonavenueaudio.com. Oh, we kept it under an hour. I can't complain. Hey, not bad. No, not bad. It's good. I can go write my baseball prospectus transaction analysis and watch the season finale of You're the Worst, and I'm good to go. You just write a transcript of the podcast. There you go. Yeah, I'm not that lazy. <laughs> I'm close to that lazy.
<laughs> but I'm not that lazy. Anyway, I got to come up with more obscure cultural references and figure out if Luis Sessa makes my uh, Yankees top ten list. Your your references are mostly like obscure European literature or or obscure European Europe- literature or film. Yes. Yes, film. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Go with I the words. Right over my head. <laughs> I said you the most. The most proud. And the most proud I've been in my tenure, the happiest I've been with like the editing notes I've gotten back, was when I uh, did the game four NLDS recap about sort of about Clayton Kershaw overcoming quote unquote the seventh inning curse or whatever. And called it from from Clayton uh, Clayton from five to seven, and I forget exactly what Sam wrote back to you, but he's like, "This is like the most erudite title suggestion we've ever gotten," which made me feel good because you know Christina Carl wrote there for many years, and she's like a European history scholar, and I just you know cheaply referenced an Agnes Varda film, but whatever works. Okay, that's what you were doing. Yes, I was cheaply referencing an Agnes Varda film. I was waiting film. for the punchline. No, no, there's no punchline. There's no joke. No, I didn't know what you were referencing. I had yeah. no idea. It's a, I don't want to say it's a French New Wave film. I think Varda is slightly, technically speaking, I think Varda is considered to be a uh, predecessor to the French New Wave style. Her and like... Uh, Film historians have cited Varda's work as central to the development of the French New Wave film movement. But I think she does slightly predate, of course, and also overlap with it. I don't know if she's actually considered a uh, a New Wave. Okay, Wikipedia says her work predates the French New Wave, which I knew. Yeah, she's left bank with Marker and Renai. That's what I thought. Well then. Yeah. So there's your uh, bit of French film bullshittery for this week. We're not going to do a special Rule 5 podcast tomorrow, so you're probably... What, if, to... they, what if they pick somebody? We're still not doing a special Rule 5 podcast <laughs> tomorrow. We'll fold it into next week's show. I don't think anything else crazy. I don't think I'll... I don't know if I can even bring myself to do something. They sign like Bartolo in the next 24 hours. I should. I mean, they got our takes right now. Yeah. Sign Bartolo. <laughs> there it is. Do it. They do it, we'll be happy. That's all you need yeah. to know. So with that out of the way, we'll see you next week for another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. Well, we couldn't leave it just there, could we? Shortly after finishing recording with Greg Karam, as often happens... 
during the winter meetings. Mets made another signing, or a signing. Signing Ezdrubal Cabrera to a two-year, $18.5 million deal with a team option for year number three. And I also should point out we spent most of the podcast with my trying to talk Greg and all of you into the Mets signing Yusmero Fatid. And even before, the Mets ruined the podcast by signing Ezdrubal Cabrera, the Nationals signed Yusmero Fatid. So talk about those things, clean up a couple emails, maybe get into a little bit of winter meetings roundup. It's Milo Tybee. Milo. Hello. What are your feelings on Azdrubal Cabrera? I spit them all over Twitter shortly after he signed it. Everyone like retweeted like my initial overreaction to him not being as good as Tejada, which yeah, fair enough. I immediately clarified for the next like two days, everybody just like responded or retweeted that one. The first in like a 16 Twitter tweet rant about Azdrubal Cabrera. I'm um I'm lukewarm about the signing. I think it's okay. I think it's less of a slam dunk than the Neil Walker acquisition. Um, I like that it doesn't cost the draft pick. Um, I don't like so much that uh, it's a multi-year commitment, but I suppose that's the price for uh, for a middle infielder on such a bear market. And uh, I think it's interesting that we've got this kind of glut of middle infield options at this point with Flores and Tejada kind of seemingly expendable at this point. Well, I think the plan was very much to get another middle infielder in there just to give them depth. I think right. maybe we thought it was going to be Kelly Johnson because mm-hmm. he's more of a, not a natural third baseman, but has more experience playing third base um, than Tejada or Walker or even Flores at this point. But instead they went for a short stop in air quotes or reverse commas, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, a poor defensive shortstop. Yes. That, that was the implication, yes. Which mm-hmm. allows them to, I mean, I guess, slide over Tejada if... Or, excuse me, slide over Flores if Wright gets hurt, if and when Wright can't play. And at the same time, you know, if they wanted to do a strict platoon and only play Flores at shortstop against lefties, I guess they could do that as well. Though if you look at it, Cabrera doesn't have much of a split, so they'd probably be better off platooning Flores with Walker, since Walker has a more pronounced split and is worse against lefties overall than Cabrera is. Um, I just don't trust Terry Collins to platoon either of them, frankly, because they're veterans, and he doesn't platoon veterans. Right. I've read I've read various takes on how this impacts Flores from, uh, you know, he, he becomes the new infield super sub to... He's now floated in trade talks, which I, I think is pretty unlikely given his, his recent injury. Uh, I'm interested to see how this impacts Tejada. If uh, if the club really uh, regrets extending him uh, for another season instead of non-tendering him over over the offseason. I mean, they could A, they could always cut him in spring training and pay him the league minimum because it's not mm-hmm. a gu- fully guaranteed deal. B, they could probably move him on a one-year, $2.5 million contract to someone you know not for anything significant maybe for a 40-man spot essentially in a flyer if they wanted to go in that direction but I think they're just going to keep all of them I think that's your essentially your infield depth for 2016 because Kadir they don't really have a first baseman Kadir is going to take the first base reps I'm sure right uh, with Duda against the tough tough lefties here and there and then you have essentially three infielders in in Cabrera, Flores, and Tejada that can play second, third, and short. Right. 
Well, the acquisition of Cabrera avoids, uh, you know, the the competition of just Tejada, uh, Reynolds, and Flores for the starting job, which I think was the same scenario that played out last uh, spring training. Sure. So, if, if anything, you, you bring some solidarity to the position. Um, but his Cabrera's lack of defensive uh, aptitude at shortstop is going to be concerned for sure. So here's my main problem with the deal. Like, I understand the reasoning behind it. And uh, let's look. The Mets front office were or was interested in Cabrera last offseason. Mm-hmm. Didn't get him. Um, they sort of, I guess, finally got their man, as it were. And it cost him a multi-year deal because he's coming off a better season than he was coming off 2014. That's why he had to take a one-year deal with the Rays in the first place. So I think my main issue is, and look, Cabrera, by the numbers, is a better version of Wilmer Flores. He's a bad defensive shortstop, probably a better defensive shortstop than Flores. He's a league average-ish hitter slugging heavy. Very similar to Flores. He's like a 15 home run guy that doesn't really walk all that much. That's very similar to the Flores profile. It's better than Flores, who I think was going to be the incumbent going into 2016 otherwise. Is it $18 million better over two years, considering that Flores will be 25 and Carrera will be 30? I don't know that I see it. And for a team that has very real budgetary constraints, is that the best use of that much guaranteed money? It's a, it's a good point. It, it leads me to question whether they, they are actually done in free agency, so to speak. Um, just how much this $18-plus million contract hampers their ability to go out and sign a, uh, I don't know, say a Denard Span or, or someone of that caliber. I don't think they're done, but I don't think you're going to... I mean, they still have needs they need to fill, but they're not going to be filling it with players that be making more guaranteed money than Azdrubal Cabrera in all likelihood. I'm mm-hmm. a little, I'm bullish on their, sorry, I'm bearish, I should say, on their ability to sign Span on a two-year deal. Not right. because not because they can't come up with 228 or something like that. I think they probably could. Um, I don't know if he'd be inclined to take that from them specifically. Mm-hmm. Given that, and if he wants a one-year deal to try to hit the market again, that's even more complicated because he's probably not going to be a full-time player with Ligaris there. Yeah, he's he's a guy who I, you know, given just how relatively little he played last season, it seems like a prototypical option for a one-year incentive-laden contract just to build up his market value then test the market again. But Scott Boris being his agent doesn't seem to coincide with, uh, with that idea. Sure, so yeah. I, I could see yeah. He seems like a guy that gets like 112 or 345. I don't think the Mets will give him the latter. I don't know if he'd take the Mets' offer on the former. Well, especially if they're only planning on uh, signing a guy to platoon with, with Ligares, which is what I, I most recently read. And that's what it, it comes down to is how much have they... Now, this team is better than it was a week ago. Mm-hmm. Adding Walker and Cabrera. Is this team as currently constructed better than the sec- the team that was on the field in the second half of 2015? I don't know. 
mean, they were, that was a 90-something win pace that they played at for those two and a half months-ish, 10 weeks. So they don't have to be that good next year again, theoretically, but I don't know that they're going to reach those heights. When you compare them to the Cubs, for example, and the Cubs and Mets have had very similar tracks over the last few years. You know, both teams brought in new GMs to sort of rebuild from the ground up, build up the farm system, um, not spend a lot of money in the in the Mets out of necessity. In the Cubs case, eh, probably not out of necessity, but it was a, a conscious effort not to take on long-term money, certainly, for the last few years. And then when the time came, you know, last offseason, the Cubs went out and got John Lester. The Mets signed Michael Kadire, and then a bunch of cool things happened. And then coming off that, you know, the Cubs have gone out and gotten Jason Hayward. They've gone out and gotten Ben Zobrist. You know, they might still move Jorge Soler or someone of that ilk. Schwarber even. I don't think probably not Schwarber. But they could with Hayward in the fold now move Schwarber to get a frontline starting pitcher. The Mets have, you know, traded Daniel Murphy for Neil Walker, John Neese for somebody, and Asdrubal Cabrera for Wilmer Flores. Right, and the Hayward development, I mean, I I could be wrong. I, I never heard the Mets name, named uh, in connection with Hayward on any sort of rumor site. No, all the, all the beats pretty much said they were never particularly interested. Right. Um, it is disappointing, though, because, uh, yeah, I mean, even if they don't move a, uh, a Soler or a Schwarber for a frontline starter, they did also sign John Lackey. Which right, I really forgot that, yeah. So it seems like uh, they've made those patchwork moves in addition to the big blockbuster signings like like a Hayward. And I guess the NL Central is going to be more competitive than the NL East next year. But I see a lot of Mets fans on Twitter like poo-pooing the Cubs as like, you know, oh, just another 2015 Nationals. Well, you know, sometimes that really works. Usually it does. If you think they're 2015 Nationals, you have to pay attention to what happened with the 2015 Nationals. And what's going to go wrong? What went wrong with the Nationals was old players collapsing, essentially, in addition to a, a, a lot of injuries. Now, a lot of injuries is the thing that can happen to the Cubs. That's all young, pre-prime talent there. The kind of players, as a whole, you'd expect to get better next year. Now, look, could the Mets still beat them in a short series if they get there? Sure, it's a short series. Anything can happen in four games. You want to put the best team on the field for 162, and... Right now, on December 11th, are the Mets the favorites in the NL East? Probably. I don't feel particularly confident about it. I mean, the Nationals have done some stuff to shore up their bullpen. I'm not just referring to Yusmero Petit. And the Petit contract is funny to me, because I was thinking, like, what I would... Like, what would I sign? If I had to get Yusmero Petit on this team, what would I offer him? I'd, like, probably, like, a one-year, $3 million deal with an option, which is what the Nationals ended up giving him. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking if you're giving out, if a major league team is giving out the same contract I would for Yusmero Petit, they might be overpaying. Right. They uh, they also signed Sean Kelly and uh, and Oliver Perez to move to really uh, bolster their depth in the bullpen. I the only reason I would be skeptical about them catching the Mets in the NL East is, is they've lost so much by free agency. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman walked. Ian Desmond presumably is going to walk. 
Um, th those are two two pieces that I, I don't think are very easy to just uh, discover. Traded also, I mean, well. replacing, replacing uh, Matt Williams with, with Dusty Baker. Very much a lateral <laughs> really move. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just disheartening. I think we all knew this is kind of what was going to happen or something mm -hmm. like it going into the offseason. They're at around $105 million right now. I mean, even if they were to sign Span and someone like Cologne, I guess them to 120 but it's not a very inspiring $120 million payroll even at that point. I mean, I guess on your face you can say, well, they spent more it's money. It's definitely not. Um... Right, I'm sure it was deflating to an extent to the fan base to hear that uh, that we are that we are just out on Cespedes. But that's not a possibility, seemingly. Um, so that coupled with Hayward's signing to the Cubs is uh, a little bit of a kick to the pants. Right, we're at the point now where they're really the only place they can make an upgrade is center field. They're kind of locked in for 2016. Otherwise. I mean, they could they could go out and get like a real fifth starting pitcher, like a kind of guy that commands a you know a multi year deal, but that market is insane right now. Just look at what Mike Leakes probably gonna end up getting from the Nationals. Right. What are uh, has the market cooled or not? The market have uh, have negotiations with uh, Bartolo Colon cooled because it seemed like a deal was imminent. I think it's just um, a function of everyone being in the same place for for winter meetings. <laughs> Things tend same to place, same time. Yeah, if, if stuff doesn't happen in the next week or so, it usually cools down. It like shuts down. Baseball shuts down for two weeks after that. So you'll see a couple deals slash trades probably trickle in over the next seven eight days, and then everything will shut down till January. So they might get a deal done before then. They might not. It sounds like there's a lot of interest in Bartolo Colon, as there should be. Yeah, certainly. If uh, if he's willing to come back on a moderately inexpensive one or two year deal, I, I don't see how the Mets can't be interested. Yeah, I mean, unless they decide to like really go with like, oh, just go with Logan Verrett. Also depends how serious they are about Rafael Montero. I mean, I know they. they mentioned I have no him idea. As, as I guess he is option, finally. But... Uh, that's the other thing that happened shortly after the podcast recording session with Greg ended is. They announced that uh, Montero is going to start in winter ball next week. So we'll see. I don't think it's one of the worth, worth track. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's one of the Dominican winter league teams I can regularly watch on internet streaming. I think it was like Escojito or something. I'll have to wait until they play like Lise. I can usually get those games. I think Toros the last day I can get occasionally too. Um, a bit uh, a bit off the radar, but do you think Matt Bowman would have been an in-house option? I know no. Keith Law was saying uh, how the Mets shouldn't have, should have protected him prior to the, the Rule Five draft. Yeah, Keith Law thinks he has five average or better, better pitches, and he doesn't. So, though he's not the only one. You know, Paul DePodesta said it in media hit recently he's like the third best pitching prospect in the system which is funny because they just did not bother to protect him for the rule five then which says more about the system than anything else right now in terms of pitching depth mm. 
Matt Bowman is more Chris Schwinden than Dylan G. If you want recent fifth startery types. Did uh did he ever bounce back to the major leagues after being with like four different organizations in one year? I don't year? think so. Schwinden? I can look. I have looked at his baseball reference page probably within the last eighteen months, but <laughs> I would guess. I don't remember offhand where he ended up after that. Let's see. The unsponsored Chris Schwinden's uh, baseball reference. <laughs> um, looks like he pitched really well in independent ball in 2014 and got a brief cup of coffee with the Rangers AAA affiliate in Round Rock. Got shelled. And, uh has not played professional baseball as far as B-Ref can tell in 2015. Pitched to a tidy 12.46 ERA in, uh, <laughs> for the Mets in 2012. I don't, and I'm sure he pitched for them at some point. I don't remember any of those appearances. <laughs> Lost to the ages. We also got a couple emails in the last 36 hours or so, so the heck we'll dispatch with those two unsurprisingly there's another irish soccer email it is from bob dear jeffrey at accomplice first things first best republic of ireland player johnny giles liam brady second with sublime black giles steeliness i put roy keen third the title of this email is how could you not mention johnny giles the reason i could could not or did not mention johnny giles bob is because his republic of ireland career ended three years before i was born but I will take your word for it. Um, I would also say that I could have made a joke here that I won't give credit to anyone that played for that West Yorkshire club, but that's not entirely true. He goes on, I have read that Cabrera is not an upgrade over Wilmer at shortstop. That's probably me on Twitter. Is that really true, or will he herald an end to shortstop Avenue audio at least for a while? I mean, we covered this. He's an upgrade, but probably not a significant one, and maybe not one by 2017, depending on how Flores progresses with the bat. On last week's show, you mentioned the Mets are leaving Binghamton. I know things are a little busy with the Major League Club. I'd like to know a bit more about that situation, unless it is just the usual Wilpon pisses off yet more people. Anyways, I really enjoy getting my excellent fix of weekly Mets insights. Keep up the good work. Bob in Biddenden, which is in the United Kingdom, near but not part of London. Um, I mean, there's the whole lawsuit with Wilmington that they're still working out, but in all likelihood, it will end up with the, the B-Mets as currently constituted playing in Wilmington at some point in the near future, essentially. Whether that remains, uh, I should say whether that's as soon as 2017, I don't know. That is probably how that will work out. Other emails from Jimmy. We get an off-season Josh Satin watch. Love the pod. Hashtag love the pod. Josh Satin has surfaced. He's playing for Toro Celeste in the Mexican Winter League. Has gone 0 for 9 with one walk so far. I don't know where he'll end up. I'm curious. Where will the Josh Satin sweepstakes lead us? Japan? He seems like the guy that we like to say, oh, yeah, I'll go play in Japan for a year or two. His skill set would probably fit pretty well there, actually. Right. 
Kind of, kind of a bummer. He didn't get at least a uh, September call up for the Reds. I think they actually let him go like sometime in August, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, he did. He was Josh Satney for them in AAA. Like seven hundred four OPS. Yeah, two eighty with a high walk rate and not much power. Right. What he always does in AAA. Josh Satin and Chris Schwinden of uh, Unsponsored Baseball Reference page fame. Oh, is my Josh Satin Baseball Reference page sponsorship la- lapsed? Available. Is it available? I didn't know that it lapsed. Is- Check my account. How is it going to cost me to renew it? Let's see. Why didn't it just say it on the main page? Usually it says you can sponsor this for... X number of dollars. It was cheap for a while, but once he got a couple years in the majors, they jacked it up on me. Interest builds up. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, him receiving 190 at-bats is something I'm sure happened, but I've got no recollection of it. You remember that? He was like their main first base bat down the stretch that season. Like a, a Jason Phillips type year. Yeah. First stretch, he was the everyday, right? Wasn't that 2013? It was the year he got all the bats? Yeah. yeah. Heck, let me log in. I remember I logged in a bunch of times with the wrong login. No, not that one either. It's riveting radio. There we go. Let me look. So when did my Josh Satin player page expire? Wow, it expired like almost two years ago. It's bad on me. I've not been paying attention at all. It is only twenty dollars. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. Twenty dollars well spent. Yeah, my Christmas present to uh, Baseball Reference. It's responsoring Josh Satin's uh, Baseball Reference page. A bit, uh, a bit after the fact, but did uh, as Drupal Cabrera's stint with the Nationals in 2014 leave uh, leave any impressions with you? Not really. He was mostly like playing second base and backing up for them. Like, yeah. was he even a regular, semi regular? Like I know he played for them. I remember the trade vaguely, but I looked that, over some uh, some highlights of that of that stint, and one of the home runs he hit was off Jerry's Familia, which is moderately impressive. That is an, that's like an interesting factoid. Yeah. I will say that steamer projection for Josh Satin in 2016 is 244, 325, 383. Which I'm going to guess is better than Eric Campbell's. Just saying. <laughs> that's good. I don't think we need to do more than that. I don't really call this a full double feature. We just need an addendum. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty confident that nothing will happen after I actually hit stop on the recording button this time. So I can get this episode up. I suppose it spaces them out a little nicer after the winter meetings preview. Right. I guess we should talk about the Rule 5 stuff we already sort of briefly mentioned, Matt Bowman. I don't yeah, really have, have anything uh, to say about Octavio Acosta or Alfredo Reyes, even though I've seen him. Sigh of relief for not, losing, for not losing Becerra. Yeah, I pretty much talked myself into the fact they weren't going to lose him in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Realistically. Phillies uh, took Tyler Goodell, who 
probably gonna have a shot to break as a, uh, a starting outfielder on that team. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, he'll, he'll keep him for 162 games. Will not be hard to do. Yeah, him, him, and Altair are probably gonna be on the corners of that outfield. Uh, I like to say they have a the inside track of the number one pick, but they really don't. Yep, it'd be tough to beat the Braves, especially if they move in Ciarte. Right, they just dealt. And not uh, even that Inciarte is that great a hitter, but he is a major league quality hitter. <laughs> yeah, someone floated the idea of uh, the Mets making a play for Inciarte to platoon with Lagares. I would, I would, would be, be a good fit. Yeah, I don't know if the Braves would do that in the division. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's a little bit lower stakes, I would probably guess than uh, yeah. than their hesitancy to deal um, Andrelton Simmons. I'm trying to think if the Mets have any Georgians. In uh, high well, places in the majors Wheeler. right now. Yeah, Wheeler. I don't think they traded Wheeler for Inciarte, though. I'm trying to think of any of those prospects are from Georgia. I don't think any of them are, really. Gazelman's a Southern California guy. Chikini's from Louisiana. Smith's Southern Cal. Nimmo's Wyoming. Basically, everyone else is a. Venezuelan teenager. I guess uh, Lindsay is from Florida, but that's not Georgia. It's not the same. And they already traded them Gant, so. But yeah, and Ciarte would definitely fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and basically a league average hitter and a very good defender, so. Uh, he himself a Rule 5 draft pick at one point. Yes, uh, the Phillies had him and sent him back. Yep. That covers your Rule 5 stuff. So I feel like we've definitely covered the winter <laughs> meetings, which are never as exciting as I think they're going to be. Especially when, mm-hmm. you know, you root for a team with onerous financial limitations. Cool. Anticlimactic at points. Yeah. But we'll probably be back next week for at least one more show before some sort of holiday break. I've toyed with the idea of doing another holiday special, but I don't really... I, I kind of, like, burnt that candle at both ends uh, last year with two and a half hours on everything I would talk about this year. I don't just want to go into repeats, so... If I come up with something interesting, I'll do a holiday special. Otherwise, we'll do an episode next week about general Mets-related stuff. And then we'll see you in 2016. Remember to change the date on the metadata of the podcast. It usually takes me three or four episodes to remember to do that. But until then, we'll see you again on Amazing Avenue Audio. For real this time. For fuck's sake. So, less than 30 minutes after I finished recording that segment with Milo, Michael Kadaya retired. So to talk about that briefly, it's Kate Feldman. Hi, Kate. How's it going? 
Um, I'm tired. How are you? <laughs> I am tired of this podcast. <laughs> not tired specifically, but well, not tired generally, but tired specifically of this podcast. All right. So I'm tired both of them. It's not strictly an LOL Mets moment because they don't have anything to do with the Mets MLB.com transactions page, but it's still funny that this was just sort of dumped out there randomly on a Friday night and that someone from Mets Twitter, of course, found it on a Friday night. Of course, because what else are they good for? You got to keep track of They might have possibly signed a minor league free agent and not announced it in the last 24 hours. Got to check on that. Or Cespedes, you know. Hmm. So after it was deleted because some production assistant probably posted it before they were supposed to. I think they just probably got the paperwork filed today or whatever. So There was no checks and balances there. Um, it got deleted. And then David Wright finally started answering beat writers' texts, probably. <laughs> That's how that went down. And they got it confirmed that he is, in fact, retiring. I don't remember who it was, but someone questioned whether it was, like, individual responses or a group text. Ah, and I'm just yes. picturing him. Just like he has just, like, a group in his, like, on his phone. And he just goes, yeah, it's done. So I can just see it being, like, uh, David's phone, like, blowing up on a Friday night when he's out with his wife or something. And he's just texting, right. them. He's just texting them back, new phone, who dis? Like everyone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've had that song stuck in my head for a week, and I had finally gotten it out. So thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> so Michael Kadire is no longer a Met. I know. Functionally, this means they clear at least part of probably most of his $11 million that he was due in Oh, it's more than that, isn't it? It's like 13, uh, it's 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Jesus. Okay. It was a lot of money. It was. <laughs> they did, they did backload it a little bit too. Um, so I'm guessing after some sort of buyout, this would be close to a wash with whatever they're paying as Jabal Cabrera. So we're really just back where we started. It could be worse. They literally have the same payroll they had once uh, everyone was declared a free agent. Which could be good. They go out and they could go out and get more players now. They're gonna to need to get a ready bat for the outfield, probably. We still need some relievers. They need some relievers. Uh, maybe something. All the things we've talked about in the first two segments of the show. I'm assuming so. They're not even segments. I, like they're kind of separate <laughs> podcasts. I don't know what they are. I'm just very tired of talking about this. Um, so, what's your favorite Michael Kadire memory? Um. Honestly, it's, like, not even baseball. I loved the magic. Like, and everyone made fun of him for that. But I just loved Michael Kodair, like, doing magic for kids in the Mets clubhouse. I like them using him as the Mets Fedora Day model. Like, oh of, my God. of all I the players they could have gotten, out. they got, like, cre- like the guy that looks most like an old, creepy divorce dad <laughs> in a fedora to do the print ads for it. I got that fedora like three months after their promotion, and I like I'm looking at it right now. I forgot I had it. See, I think I don't know. Uh, I I feel like maybe it's a. I mean, look, I wore a. F- I didn't wear a. F- Did I own a fedora in college? I must have. <laughs> I, I feel like you probably did. I definitely had a bowler. I'm guessing I probably had a fedora. Um, <laughs> my freshman year at Hampshire, certainly. <laughs> I could go uh, back and probably confirm that. There's video evidence, but letters. yeah. But it's just, uh, I just, I can't, like, like, I feel like women can pull off fedoras. It's like sort of like a His Girl Friday kind of thing. Uh, I, mean, I, I have never seen that. a dude that looks good in a fedora since yeah. literally the 40s. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking Jay Horowitz probably could. <laughs> like, honestly, probably could pull it off. 
Oh my goodness. I'm looking at these photos now. Of Michael Kadire on a fedora, I hope, not me. I'm not on there on the internet. That would be bad. Yeah, I'm really good at Googling. It was really Mm -hmm. quick. Because half of them are him and half of them are just hipsters in fedora. Right, sure, of course. You know. I mean, some of them are probably pork pies, but I just do not in any way, (laughs) shape, or form care about that distinction. Yeah. They are just here. And then there's casually one of Ruben, just like chilling in there. So. What should the Mets spend this money on? What's your what's your top priority now? I want to say I just want to say go out and get that big bat. You just cleared ten million dollars. Yes, but they're, I mean they're back roughly concern, at ninety two, ninety three million probably. Yeah, but my concern is that maybe this now will actually get us a decent bat, as opposed to you know I I don't even know numbers at this point. But, you know, will they get us two relievers instead of one? And that's what they're going to spend the money on. A slightly better starting pitcher. You, I mean, it's just going to be Cologne. It it's, it's just going to be Bartolo, yeah. I mean, it has to be Bartolo. Uh, they can't not let us have that. It's just been like the most Mets Twittery night with the Kadir thing. It ha- and I feel I feel bad for the guy. I really do. Like he's played 15 years, and he's gonna end his you know major league playing career because some yeah like you said some intern like pressed a button too soon. But by the same token, I in, in a weird way, it's probably redeemed him in the eyes of certain Mets fans. Yeah, I will give you that because we're so payroll conscious. <laughs> This is, like, the best thing he probably could have done for us as a fan base in 2016. Yeah, he's taken one for the team. But he's had a really good career. He has. He made a couple all-star games, got some MVP votes. He'll get, you know, he'll get some Hall of Fame votes, I'm sure, from... Oh, yeah, he he was great to the media, too, so he'll definitely get some Hall of Fame votes. Um, I didn't prep enough for this. One of the beats, I don't remember who, said that he had talked to... Some front office stuff about coaching, and I would have no problem with that. I feel I, like that would be great for him. I guess I have a well, I have a I have a philosophical problem with way too many like coaching and managerial jobs just getting handed to recently retired dudes that don't really have any coaching experience. Like maybe Michael Kadire would be a great assistant hitting coach. I don't know. Oh yeah, I don't think he's getting you know brought in to replace Bob Guerin on the bench, but. You know, you bring him to spring training, you see what he can do, at least. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's made more than enough money in his career where he doesn't have to, you know, go to Brooklyn and manage this year or anything if he doesn't want to. Right. He could, the guy, the poor guy could just want some time off. Yeah. He's made $79 million in his playing career, plus oh. whatever he gets from the Mets as a buyout. Oh, I hate money. <laughs> and he hasn't really, like, he never even really got a big deal. He got, like, the three-year deal... From the, uh, looks like he got some sort of extension from the twins mm. at some point. Let's say <laughs> one, two, three. Well, hang on, I can probably figure this out. <laughs> His first, eight forty one thirty five. No, he was just a regular, looks like a regular Super 2. One, two, three. Four. No, there's no way he's a Super 2. Yeah, they must that's, have extended him at some point. Yeah, there has to be something. That's too many. It's too um, long. And then a three-year deal from the Rockies and the two-year deal from the Mets. So he never yeah. really got a big payday. 
No, he kept a you know ten five for those three years in Colorado, and sadly, that's not that much. It really isn't for what, especially for what he was hitting there. But you know, like you said, he had a good career. It didn't work out too great here, but. <laughs> I do like that his Marcel projection for 2016 is 283, 336, 458. I don't think that was happening. Where is that? No, like who? I hadn't noticed that actually. It's just a it's just a five three one plus a aging factor. It's like the simplest projection you can. Right, but but still, like, yeah, that would be like actually like a, an everyday player, like a yeah. good everyday corner outfielder in City Field. All right, maybe it's supposed to be Confortos and they, like, mixed them <laughs> up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Except now I'm going, well, what if it was? What no, if he retired? I, but I, I think, think he's retiring because his knee is just completely shot. Or his I'm hip, sure, whatever I'm it was. Sure whatever part of his body is. Uh... I'm sure most of it, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> the Steamer, guy is in the 30s, 36 already. Steamer has him at 252, 306, 400, which seems more... Reasonable. I hate to say that even that sounds That's ambitious. probably a little high. <laughs> it is replacement level in a uh, corner outfield spot, so. All right. But well, still. they just now now it's even more. They have to do. They have to go and get that bat. And now, actually, what do we have for a Duda backup? Oh, you can find a right-handed first place between. I mean, Flores could play there. He's played a, a fair amount of first base in Double A. But that's okay. that's the kind of guy you can find a right-handed corner outfield, yeah, first base type free agent. I don't think they really have anyone. That's the thing. I mean, internally that I can think of. I'm like thinking in my head, but like who is AAA? There's really nobody. I mean, I don't think Cabrera has ever touched first in his career. No, neither has Tata. But Flores has played there a decent amount. And they right. again, that's the kind of guy you can make whatever. Yeah, worst comes to worst. It's the most, like, whatever. Take a look, see who's available. Yeah. That was just, that was, like, his redeeming quality for 2016 was he could take over first if he had to. Steven Pierce probably makes the most sense because he's got first base and outfield experience. Yeah. What is he? right-handed. I expected to go for. I don't even know, like money wise. Uh, I don't know. I, I can honestly say I did not follow with much closeness the Stephen Pierce free agent market before today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't until about thirty seconds ago. So you still beat me. He's coming off a terrible season with Baltimore, mm. uh, so I think he'll probably be gettable on a one-year deal. Yeah. But let's see. Even last year, how is he? How is he thirty-two already? Is I that just me? Stephen Pierce. Yeah. I just have again. I have no frame of reference for Stephen Pierce. I don't either. I just did not think he'd been around for that long. He had a weird reverse split last year, but I feel like for his career, he's a pretty good lefty masher. Let's see. Yeah, eight twenty-four OPS against lefties. Nah, that'll that'll play if you do too. It's not entirely particularly inspiring. It's it's more John Mayberry ish, but Oh see see you just jinxed it though. That's the problem. No, I'm just saying it's closer to John Mayberry than it's just not a position you want to spend a lot of money on anyway, so I don't have a huge yeah, problem with it. 
like I don't want someone, you know, I don't want them signing someone because they also can play first base. I just kind of want it yeah. a last ditch, you know, throw him out there if, if something happens, an emergency. Also, everyone I've looked up on VRF lately is from Florida, and it makes me sad. Most baseball players are, so. I just, it like, it's, it makes me very sad. I'm sorry to everyone in the country for Florida. So that's it, I think. I think we're really for real done now. Yeah. Michael Kadair, it was an adventure. It was. You did magic tricks and wore unfortunate hats. <laughs> and for that, we thank you. And it was really, really bad in game one of the NLDS. Oh, God. That's terrible. That's what he's going to be remembered for with the Mets. Yeah. You know, it's, they can't all be... You can't, they can't all be like... Uh, Murph. Yeah. <laughs> you can't always go off with a wine. Not that plenty of Mets Twitter remember him for the errors in the and his underperformance in the World Series. Trust me on that. Oh goodness. Well, <sighs> I wish him well. He will never hear this, but I hope he enjoys the rest of his life. I think it'll probably be a pretty good one. So I don't think so. He's got, you know, a couple million dollars, so I'll probably be fine. <laughs> he can hang out in Virginia and you know. Hey, he go back to teaching. That sure. actually was my favorite Michael Kadire thing. He like taught. He like substituted at his high school when he was with the twins in the summer or in the winter. Oh, that's he, actually interesting. I figured it'd be like I know some like minor leaguers will sometimes substitute teach as like an off season job. Yeah, this I don't remember but, where I saw this. It was one of those stories, and he because he was bored in the off season and he would go back <laughs> to the club, and I just loved that. It's not quite as cool as Mike Pelfrey just randomly barnstorming slow-pitch softball games in the offseason. <laughs> Apparently he's like an amazing slow-pitch softball hitter. That's kind of fantastic. I didn't know that. You know, there's two things I know about Mike Pelfrey outside of, you know, that he's a mediocre pitcher. Is that uh, he barnstorms and like kills. He's like a slow-pitch softball ringer and like <laughs> the field goal kicking story from Mario Dickey's book. That's about it. Oh my god. I was trying to explain Ari Dickey to a completely non-baseball friend the other day, and it didn't work at all. I was like, I don't know, he like, climbs mountains and writes books and throws pitches that nobody throws. Just like, what does that even mean? The Mike Pelfrey, Ari Dickey, like, BFF thing was always an amusing subplot of those Mets teams, too. Oh, goodness. This, this team... Well, if they can turn this money around and actually sign a player that we need, I will consider Michael Kadire's Mets tenure a success. How about that? Works for me. That's probably an overly optimistic note on which to end the podcast, but it's what we're going to end the (laughs) podcast with because I'm tired of this podcast, and we will see you next week for another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. 